Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Ocean Protect podcast, talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect, committed to change. Welcome, Katie Dafforn, to our little podcast, Ocean Protect podcast. And we are sitting in the, on the edge of the most the beautiful of Sydney Harbour days. Katie, first up, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me. Pleasure. Welcome, welcome. Well, actually, uh, we were sitting here, Brad. Uh, not a bad place for an office, really, is it? <laughs> um, Katie, do you want to explain uh, for all our listeners exactly where we are? Right now, we're sat on the balcony at the Sydney Institute of Marine Sciences, uh, looking out over Chowder Bay and the outer parts of Sydney Harbour. The beautiful Rose Bay is opposite us right now. Mm. And, and it is a beautiful day in Sydney, has to be said. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. After the rain we've had earlier this week, um, to see the blue skies is really nice. <laughs> and so what, what, what do you do here? What's your role here? I'm a researcher here um, and based also at Macquarie University. When I'm working at Sims, it's usually doing work in the lab, uh, either running experiments or going out on the boats that we have here. Yeah, and what sort of experiments and what sort of is your key areas of research, I guess? For quite a while, I've been really interested in the impacts of pollution in marine systems. And more recently, it's become quite focused on stormwater pollution and where is that occurring? Uh, what kinds of concentrations and problems do we have? What impacts on marine life and how can we start to change things and provide solutions. And is a lot of your focus on Sydney Harbour, given that you're right here, or do you look at all waterways? The stormwater research I've done so far has been completely in Sydney Harbour, but I've looked at multiple estuaries around New South Wales for other types of pollution, more associated with industry factories and things like that. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah that is really <laughs> cool. Well, obviously we are at Sydney Harbour today, so and obviously it's a very iconic Waterway. Well, it's, it's the most iconic, don't you think? Right, well, name me another waterway that's as iconic. No. I, no, I yeah. can't either. Especially natural, because yeah. we do yeah. have a natural drowned river valley, and a lot of the other yeah. beautiful waterways are, are more manufactured, I yeah. suppose. Yeah, and, and that's the thing about, I guess, this one. It's, it's quite an iconic waterway in that you've got the Sydney Harbour Bridge, the Opera House. There's all this incredible stuff, I guess, above the surface of Sydney Harbour, but obviously your research is around what lies beneath the water surface. So can you paint a picture for the, the listeners? What is Sydney Harbour like? Don't hold on, paint a picture for the listeners. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to put you up on that, mate. You're a smart well, we man. do have a video uh, camera today, so for all the listeners keen to tune us in on whatever it is. But, uh, um, well, actually, yeah. no, can, I, can we go a step back? Sims, now, can you tell us about the organisation? 
So Sims has been around for almost 20 years and it's uh, an affiliation between four different universities in Sydney Harbour. That's Macquarie University, University of New South Wales, Sydney Uni and the University of Technology Sydney and several government partners as well. And it's it was formed to sort of bring marine researchers together to provide a, a focal point, to provide really cutting edge facilities, uh, boats and, and aquariums and things like that. And uh, it really has done a great deal to bring marine researchers together in Sydney and make some of our efforts more collaborative and more focused because I think that's what we need to, to solve some of our problems. Yeah, yeah. you're bang on. Like we, <laughs> Brad and I, I think we told you we did a beach clean up down in Bondi and one of the biggest things that we find is there's so many volunteers, so many mm. researchers, there's so many organisations out there try, or, or doing different things but with the, the common goal of clean waterways and clean oceans. But I guess we're finding there's a lot of little organisations in the sort of all going in their mm. own directions. And one thing that we're trying to think of is how we pull people together and, and, and get a, a guideline for whether you're, you know, doing beach cleanups mm. in Bondi or... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, look, and we, we talked about this when we were at the Litter Congress recently in Sydney. There's all these individual groups and individual people working collaboratively to protect uh, the health of our oceans and waterways, but they're often working in parallel. Whereas, obviously, to tackle a big problem, uh, it's it's a far easier, more effectively, and to be honest, more fun to actually do it in collaboration. So we're trying to, I guess, our ultimate vision would be to try and pull the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together. And that's, I guess, what the, the Scientific Institute of Marine Science have sort of done, at least in this in this neck of the world. Um, which is p- fantastic, but I, I, see, I still see a greater need for greater collaboration. Yeah. Yeah. Do you? Absolutely. But I think that the world is just becoming increasingly connected at the same time. So there is, is more opportunity now to bring people together mm. who might not necessarily yeah. have connected before. Yeah. But in, increasingly connected, but I guess uh, living in our urban environments, we are still disconnected uh, to, I guess, um, you know, our, sometimes the impacts that we have on the environment in our day-to-day lives, but also, I guess, what the environment is actually like. Like from a tourist perspective, which I've done many times in Sydney, you look at Sydney Harbour and you go, wow, it's big, it's blue, it's beautiful, amazing. It's got the Sydney Harbour Bridge, it's got the Opera House. But what I don't understand is the environment that lies with, with, uh, beneath the surface. And I guess that's I guess a focus of your research, isn't it? It, it's certainly true because a lot of people wouldn't have the opportunity to get in the water and, mm. and see what's underneath. They don't necessarily appreciate that we do have a really diverse marine life in, in Sydney Harbour. And that's surprising because we are still an urban and industrial city. Mm. But since the 1970s and, and regulating a lot of the industrial inputs, we've seen a lot of fish come back to the harbour. We've seen fish bigger in the harbour than in other estuaries around New South Wales. And certainly we have more fish in Sydney Harbour than the whole of the United Kingdom coastline. So we've got a very diverse marine life. So go back to that again. You've got more fish in Sydney Harbour than all of the United Kingdom shore. More fish species, so more diversity. Wow. That's better than winning the ashes, really, isn't it? <laughs> I'm a Kiwi, mate. I don't care. <laughs> and, and, and so what's it like from a, like, obviously, your, your, a lot of your focus of your research is on pollution. What is it like from a pollution perspective? Is it clean? Is it dirty? 
So towards the east of the Harbour Bridge, uh, it's pretty clean. And part of that is because we have very sandy sediments, so they don't retain pollution the way that mud does. And we also have a lot of really um, good flushing mm. in this part of the harbour. The water gets um, exchanged really frequently and really quickly. Just from the tidal influence. Yeah. 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 As soon as you go west of the bridge, which is where we traditionally had more industry in Sydney Harbour as well, that's where we still have legacy contaminants in the sediments. And we also have really large storm drains that side as well, which are delivering a lot of pollution to the system still. Yeah. we. I mean, Brad's done some, some catchment calcs. Um, uh, and... Uh, yes, it is clean, but uh, I think I heard you on the Tomra video. You go out after rain events. Mm. Very different story. Tell us about that. Exactly. So I guess Sydney Harbour, we, we don't experience a lot of rainfall. So we get this buildup of organic matter in our drains over long periods of time, very dry seasons. Um, and then as soon as we do have a big rainfall event, all of that gets washed through into the storm drains mm. and straight out into the waterways where... Some things will be retained. The larger debris items in the gross pollutant traps, they'll get collected. But then there's also dissolved pollution that mm. will go straight through. There's what nothing. type of dissolved are we looking at? So we're thinking about metals, um, yeah. petrol, oils from cars and from, from people's houses, um, yeah. as well as dissolved nutrients. So if people have been using uh, fertilizers on their lawn, uh, pesticides on you know gardens and things like that, then that can get washed into the system as well. I mean, this is all like... I mean, we love talking about this stuff, so this podcast might <laughs> go for a podcast. while. <laughs> Boom. Um, but with the nutrients, is that such of an issue with the tidal influence because it would be flushed out? Well, can you just elaborate a bit more about that? So excess nutrients are actually a big problem around the world because they drive seaweed blooms, algal blooms, and that takes oxygen out of the water column mm. and can result in fish kills. So when we get too many nutrients, it's actually bad. We need enough. We need enough for things to grow, but too many nutrients and you get a system um, that becomes eutrophied is the term they use. And what type of concentrations are we talking about? Um, you know, is it a high level? Is it, you know, dissolved particular? I mean, because, you know, Brad and I, we design, well, Brad designed systems and we try to take out 45% total nitrogen out of the yeah, storm Yeah, that's a load removal, average a load, load removal. Yeah. yeah, so we put yeah. in devices to try and reduce the pollu- the nutrient loads and, and t- total suspended solid loads uh, going into our waterways. But what, what, what um, what's it down to? Two milligrams per litre? What, what? What are we trying to achieve? It's not a concentration-based target. It's a, it's a pollutant load removal rate. I know, but... Yeah. Oh, look, a, a typical uh, What's a the water quality objective for a waterway like this might be a, a total nitrogen concentration of, say, 0.5 milligram per litre. Um, and anything above that, I guess you increase the risk of um, uh, nutrification. Uh, often you'll find most waterways are uh, what we call phosphorus limited. So phosphorus is the key nutrient that is limiting the growth of algal uh, uh, cells. And so we might find maybe a, a appropriate objective for a waterway might be say 0.05 milligrams per litre and again anything above that um, increases the risk of algal growth. Is that the same thing for Sydney Harbour more or less? Yeah I mean I think you have to take it on a bit of a Mm. case by case basis because it will be influenced by what's already there in the water and how how well flushed it is like we mentioned previously because the more um, dilution you get I guess the more load can be handled without a big impact on the system. And so what are you seeing like you're you're sampling the waters of Sydney Harbour during these rainfall events and measuring I guess the impact of Grab samples? You just literally grab samples? How How are you sampling? Well, the last time we had a big rainfall event and we went out sampling, it was actually really difficult because it was um, mattresses floating yeah. down the harbour. <laughs> there were boats sinking. There were, you know, 
electricity pylons <laughs> everywhere. Oh, wow. Okay. I don't know. It was, it was quite hectic. And we were out there to sample what was happening with the sediments. So we had a, it's like a claw grab, which we dropped mm. from a boat and yeah. it collects around five kilograms of sand or mud. And then we can analyze that to see how much nitrogen, phosphorus um, and other sorts of pollution are collecting in it. And how long after a rain event are you doing that? We actually did a number of time points. So we went out straight afterwards, 24 hours, and then we looked at how that changed over uh, six, uh, two months. Sorry, Within the water column or the sediment? We did look at the water and the sediment, okay. um, but they're quite tightly linked. And yeah. generally, when you do get pollution in the water column, it gets flushed a lot more quickly and yep. it's retained a lot longer in the sediment. So that's where the problem is. So the problem in terms of water quality within Sydney Harbour, are you saying it's actually the, the legacy pollution within the sediment? Is that the key uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have much higher concentrations of pollution in the sediments than we do in the water Which column. makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Is that, and that's from a, just a history of industrial pollution, maybe uh, up until, the, say, 1980s, 1990s. Yeah, industrial yeah. pollution, the kinds of things that we paint on boats, the mm. anti-fouling paints, and also what's getting delivered from stormwater. It all gets locked up in the sediments, and if okay. there's a resuspension event, some yep. kind of disturbance, that can all go back into the water column again. So it's not just legacy pollution; it's actually new pollution coming from stormwater runoff. Exactly. So, what what are the key pollutants that we should be concerned about with stormwater flows coming into Sydney Harbour? Metals are certainly one of them. See, this is the thing. You know, we we as uh, an industry, and in Australia, sorry, I'm going to bag Australia. <laughs> we don't even we don't even look at metals. Yeah. Metals is a really big problem, and you know, yeah. roads are the biggest contributor to metals runoff, mm. and we don't treat our roads to anywhere near international standards. You go to New Zealand, we treat to a high level. You go to the United States, treat to a high level. Mm. Aussie, we're like, should we right, mate? Yeah, we have this, like you mentioned stormwater pollution, and you mentioned the fact that we might have um, some gross pollutant traps integrated throughout the Sydney Harbour catchment, but we're, we're, the vast majority of our urban areas, and including Sydney Harbour, have zero treatment at all. We think it's probably less than probably 10% of the Sydney Harbour catchment has any form of treatment at all. So if, basically if, if rain falls on the road or a shopping centre car park or roofs or whatever, 90% or more of the time it flows straight into Sydney Harbour. Is that, is that a fair estimate? Probably less than 10% is, is treated at all? I Probably. I, I wouldn't have the, the, the numbers on that one, but certainly that's why it's such a hard thing to control because you have the point source where the storm drain is, mm. but it's just coming off the land at, at many different places yeah. when there's a yeah. big rainfall of it. And... and you know, truth bombs getting dropped here. No one's bloody cleaning out these GPTs. You know, so it, it's, it's, it is a mandatory requirement for all new development pretty much around Australia. We don't have any state legislation yet. We'll get on to that. <laughs> um, but it's mandatory you've got to put devices in. For new development. For new development. But no one cleans them out. And no one checks them. It's, it's atrocious. So just from, from your knowledge... There's millions and millions of dollars worth of infrastructure there to protect Sydney Harbour and bugger all councils to put money to actually physically removing that pollution. Doesn't that break your heart? It does, because I think we have, we have technology now where we can anticipate how much pollution is there and, and go out and remove it when we need to. It, 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 is it, it annoys the... It annoys the bejeebas. Bejeebas, I'll say bejeebas. <laughs> it annoys the bejeebas out of us, because we, we see, you know, 
people like yeah, people like you doing incredible research, showing the impact of of stormwater management on our marine environment and the potential uh, ecosystem health impacts. And then we have a whole bunch of people like we were joining uh, with a couple of weekends ago, cleaning up beaches on Bondi, for example. And there would have been hundreds of people giving up their Sunday afternoon to clean up um, plastic and other pollutants off Bondi Beach. And when we sort of, me and Jeremy know that this pollution problem shouldn't be a problem at all. It's a problem that we can actually solve quite easily. But as Jeremy indicated, um, we put in these devices. No one maintains them at all. So they just basically fill up and go into bypass well, and that the, pollution goes into the waterways. Yeah, but also they become, you know, all the crap starts breaking down. Yeah, of course. Yeah, So, yeah, so it becomes a, an additional yeah. source of pollution. Yeah. You've got organic material breaking down because no one's in there cleaning it out. If it hasn't rained for a while, there's no water going through it. So it does pick, you know what it's like. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Open a GPT and it's... Yeah. it's what, what Jeremy is describing is often these GPTs are, are fairly large underground chambers with a wet, wet sump. sump. Yeah. So mm-hmm. basically it's, it's storing water along with a whole bunch of organic material like you know, leaves and bark, etc. And often, uh, always, a whole bunch of plastics and other sort of pollutants like that. Invariably, the assets don't get cleaned out or at least as frequently as they need to and that material just basically um, cooks. It by what we call biotransforms. So organic material, organic, organic pollutants basically breaks down and becomes dissolved pollution and just needs a little stormwater event to come through which invariably happens literally every time it rains and that pollution is picked up and discharged straight into our harbour in this case which causes all sorts of impacts. And that's the thing, like we look at this and go there's technology um, to... to put in uh, like you know gross pollutant traps or other devices to actually mitigate that pollution there we can just with a little bit more resources appropriately maintain these assets but we just don't no but it's it's because no, it's out of sight out of mind life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry and some well less awesome like what if you have unexpected medical costs United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You know, like that, um, uh, the net track, the net trash yeah. rack whatever it was you know, I don't know if you saw it on social media it's gone around the world oh god this is, they basically put a net on the end of a pipe and yep. go woohoo um, that got global attention why because people can physically see mm. it you know with stormwater it's out of sight out of mind and it's been the poor cousin to wastewater mm. for so long and this is why we're doing exactly what we're doing mm. to make people aware of what the hell is going on and to drive pressure through policy uh, and and try and get some legislation not only here in New South Wales but around the country. This is a problem here in, in Sydney Harbour, but uh, you know it's 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 everywhere. I mean, mm. you, I used to live in Manly. Um, have you been to Manly Lagoon? 
Yeah, we've done some work there. Wow. Okay. So you know all about that. I used to live right beside it. I used to write council letters going, <laughs> hey, I'm here to help. Can I help? And just never got a call back. So it is a disgusting estuary. So you, what sort of work Manly research Lagoon. have you done at Manly Lagoon? So we've, we've been looking at stormwater impacts in Manly Lagoon and yep. we've been looking at ways to manage land-based sources of problems. Well, you've got to go up to, up to the catchment. I mean, that's yeah. an industrial, what's it called? Brookvale. Yeah. Because that's the catchment that comes down into it. And like, so what was this? What yeah. was, what was, so it was polluted at the lagoon? Is it's, it's, it's the most polluted system. waterway in New South Wales, isn't it? I guess there are, there are hot spots. It's mm. not the entire lagoon, but there's certainly some areas that are, well, there's high production of hydrogen sulfide, which is one of those really nasty, smelly, rotten yeah. gases, yeah. Mm. which is probably what you know concerns people most. Mm. Well, that's, yeah, it's the residents. It's a pretty potent greenhouse gas as well. well so. And, and, and the manly like I can't remember when in the 70s there was a that was a dump ground where the playground is just where you know where the bridge is yeah Do you know that was that used to be the old manly tip so there's groundwater effects oh that's right yeah, yeah. so the, the, the council is looking at groundwater stormwater and they, they really are quite committed to trying to find oh, some great. solutions for so the, what other the solutions though is that if that one in particular is it is it what is it well, one of the things we are looking at with them is the sources of organic matter mm. and whether that's coming from some of the native vegetation mm. around the lagoon or whether it's coming from introduced plants yeah. and whether there's land clearing that could help or whether there's land planting that could help yeah. um, to reduce some of that load because a lot of the organic matter is driving um, some of the problems. Golf course. <laughs> that's it. There's dissolved nutrients probably coming in from the, the fertilizers getting used on and, some of the, and, the land. And, and the lagoon used to be 10 times bigger than what it is now. Um, so you imagine mm. a natural lagoon trying to do its job. Mm. Now it's 10 times as small mm. and the load's increasing. Mm. No wonder it's buggered. Mm. My, my sort of thing, they're, they're talking about cleaning up the Parramatta River, what well, they are, mm. so that you can make it swimmable. Like imagine if we could make that like a public amenity. Imagine kids, mm. you know, families going down to the Manly Lagoon, being able to go for a swim there on a nice hot day. It would be so amazing. Mm. And it's, I don't know, I just get frustrated. It takes so long for anyone to do anything. It's quite disheartening, but anyway. But getting back to Sydney Harbour, like we talk about this out of out of sight, out of mind issue, because from a from the layman's perspective, people look at Sydney Harbour and go, "Yeah, it's clean. It looks it's fine. Well, why would we worry about trying to stop pollution?" But you were saying west of the bridge, at least, it's actually a different story. It, obviously, the tidal flush helps basically flush all our pollution out. But in the western western sort of west of the bridge, it's less tidally influenced. So, is it? How, well, how polluted is it? Is it? Is it? Yeah. Is it? Would you consider it polluted or? We, we we have areas west of the bridge that are pretty much dead zones for marine life, and that's what? that's because the pollution levels are so high in the sediments. This it's, is Australia's most iconic waterway, or sorry, potentially the world's most iconic waterway. World. It's celebrated internationally, and all our tourism ads, etc. And you're saying there's dead zones within Sydney Harbour. I think that's the kind of paradox of Sydney Harbour because we do have this diverse marine life, but then there are those hot spots where there's just still the legacy contaminants. There's ongoing pressures from stormwater and. Explain what a dead zone is. It's an area of obviously very low oxygen levels. Yeah, and we'll we'll drop a, a grab to try and collect some of the the mud that's on the bottom, and we don't find anything living in it. That's what I mean oh, by a dead geez. zone. Oh, jeez. And normally we would find lots of different kinds of polychaete worms and little crabs and, and little gastropods, little snails crawling around. And mm. then if you if you find um, 10 kilos of mud with nothing living in it, that's that's pretty disheartening. Wow. Right on our doorstep. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would still say that Sydney Harbour, compared to some of the other industrial and urban harbours around the world, 
is relatively clean. We don't have some of the issues that the US and Asia have and, and even yeah, the yeah, UK, yeah, yeah, yep, yep. but we have, we have things that we can fix. And what has contributed to those dead zones? Is it, is it nutrients? Is it metals? Is it organics? What? Yeah. Well, some of it just comes back to the, the shape of the harbour because it's that drowned river valley. Mm. We have a lot of really shallow uh, embayments. Yeah. And in those spots, the water doesn't, doesn't get cycled, doesn't yeah. move. And that's also where we tend to put our storm drains. So you've got a, a point source delivering into a really low flow water system and it all just accumulates. So stormwater basically problems. washes, sorry, the stormwater pipe discharges our stormwater runoff from the upstream catchment, carrying a whole bunch of pollution into this environment and it basically stays, it stays there. there. It stays there and accumulates and, and that's where you get the problems. Wow. So how can, how can we fix that? Well, we can try and um, build storm drains in other places or we can try and just recapture all of the stormwater to begin with so it doesn't enter the harbour. Well, that'd be hard. Mm. Yeah. Well, so the, I think that the physical diversion of stormwater and, and capture of all stormwater runoff from the upstream catchment would be very, very difficult. But obviously, we can obviously reduce the pollutant loads from that stormwater prior to discharge. Yeah? Yeah, exactly. I think there are tools, um, channelization, so taking out some of the concrete in some of the big storm channels and, and trying to bring out some of the natural vegetation as a, as a bit of a filter. Yeah, natural filter, um, yeah. And then whatever technological options there are to try and capture more of that. Mm. Well, that's sort of where we come in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so yeah, full, full disclaimer, Ocean Protect, do, do, do those products. So we put in... Um, Devices. Why do you say disclaimer? I, th- I think we just need to be open and honest and upfront, saying, "Look, we our business relies. We, we we make our money out of putting in devices that treat water to a yeah. I'm proud of that. I'm proud of it as well. But I think some people might look at that and go, "Oh, you guys are just I don't know in it for the money." You could you, if you knew me and Jeremy well, you know we're completely passionate about basically protecting our waterways. The fact that we make a dollar out of what we do is oh, just a bonus. And, and it's not just Brad and I. I mean, we're, oh, geez, we're, we're just the two guys that uh, sit here and play around and talk to lovely people <laughs> like you. But we've got a, an amazing team that we, we wouldn't be able to be be here doing this if we didn't have the team back in Sydney, Brisbane, and a guy down mm. in Melbourne. I mean, mm. we, 10 years ago, there was two of us. Uh, now there's, I think, 40 of us. So I'm very proud of what we do. Um, it's just doing fun stuff like this. It um, yeah. takes you away from your day job, really. Yeah, obviously, we're not we're only one company. There's other companies that do this. So, so I guess the, what, the point I'm trying to make is that there are technologies available that can actually treat water to a pretty high standard and remove a whole bunch of pollution. Uh, and, 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 in, and they can actually do that in fairly highly constrained urban environments with a, a, a lack of open space. So natural channelization, so basically taking a concrete pipe or a, or, a, or a culvert or a drain and trying to naturalize that into a waterway or something similar can be quite land intensive because um, you, you're trying to take a whole bunch of flow and try and basically spread it out and slow it down and intercept it and, fil- and filter it and promote biotransformation, etc. Um, but there are technologies available that we can integrate into our urban environments with very limited land take at all. In fact, most of them are actually can just go underground. Um, so the solutions are available. And that's the thing that I, I sort of tried, try to sort of raise when I talk to various people is that pollution's a, the marine and waterway pollution is a significant issue. It's a big problem. We've got dead zones in Sydney Harbour. We've got a whole bunch of waterways that have poor levels of ecosystem health, um, which probably contributes to poor human health as well, given that we bathe in these waters and we often eat the products that come out of these waterways. But the pollu- whilst the pollution is quite significant, the solutions are readily available. Yeah, that's the whole point. You know, like, you're out there doing this amazing research. Yeah. You know, you're asking questions of Katie that we buddy know the answer. And it's <laughs> like, well, well why, why are we not adequately protecting every outlet into the Sydney's harbour? I mean, there should be a number one priority. I agree. Where are these hot spots? Throw cash at it. I mean, 
is we've got cash to build, you know, Barangaroo, and you know, there's cash yeah. everywhere. We're, Why are we not doing it? This is, is, is the is the question I have. Scomo, are you listening? <laughs> That's the thing. Like we we think nothing of spending billions of dollars on new highway projects or airports or whatever infrastructure projects, but to protect our natural environment, which has an economic benefit to us all in terms of if the Sydney Hub if Sydney Hub, Sydney Hub was a lot healthier, that would benefit all of us. So we think nothing of spending money on uh, road projects, etc. But when it comes to actually protecting our natural environment, we seem to have um, deep pockets and short arms. Yeah, that's good. That's quite. It's good. That's a good one, Brad. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Enough talking for us. What I want to go on to is the big buzz at the moment. It's plastic, and I think we spoke before we jumped on the podcast. One of the reasons it helped us change our name and our focus was the world is obsessed with plastic in our oceans. Well, we've known this for 15 years and all of a sudden social media is like, oh my God, plastic. What do you see plastic-wise in the harbour and from your research? Yeah, so we we have had a a student do some pretty extensive surveys of all of the beaches uh, east of the bridge and one of the number one items that comes up again and again is cigarette butts, Mm. uh, which is shocking because these days I think people have so many opportunities to to take that away with them or, you know, um, not be smoking at the beach to begin with. We also find lots of plastic bottles, um, a few plastic bags, but most of the time when we find them, they've already started to break down into smaller items. Uh, some of the work we've done is also focused on microplastics, and it's it's really quite surprising how many microplastics there are in, in Sydney Harbour already. And so what sort of concentrations of microplastics are you finding in Sydney Harbour? So in, a, in about 100 mils of sediment, we get up to around 60 pieces of microplastic. So it's actually quite a, a large amount. So 100 what? mils of sediment. So if I, if I said... half a glass. Half a glass of sediment. Mm. Half a glass of sediment, you're finding pieces. 60 pieces of... Oh, my goodness. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, that's... Um, wow. What, but, but, what, but about, plastic, what about the water It's a nerd, though, isn't it? Well, it's an it's, it's, it's a nerd, but it often forms, and it you know this more yeah, than yeah, me. Yeah, okay. um, well, it, it actually acts as a big sponge to a whole bunch of other pollutants, so heavy metals, other sort of yeah. stuff. What, what about in the water column itself? Are you finding microplastics? You're measuring microplastics in the water column in Sydney Harbour as well. We haven't measured in the water column, but we have had a student look at microplastics in fish guts. And again, we're finding a lot of microplastics there as well, um, mainly fibres. So the kinds of things coming off people's clothes. Well, how does that work? So when you wash, so your, when you clothes, wash your clothes, um, so it goes to a sewage treatment yep. plant and sewage treatment plant can't get them out and then it goes out. Wow. Yeah, yeah we were having this discussion with uh, uh, one of our former podcast guests, in Nicholas Brenner. Yeah, yeah, you should listen to that. He, he, he did a study on microplastic yeah. and PFAS. Yeah, so he, he measured the microplastic concentration in Brisbane, Brisbane waterways um, and found uh, concentrations up to about a, a thousand milligrams, a thousand parts per litre um, of microplastics. So for every litre in some waterways, there was a thousand pieces of plastic. And he was using these, like he did find sort of plastic fibres, such as from clothing, et cetera. And he, he was explaining to us um, that, yeah, it often goes, discharges out of your laundry machine into the sewer, into the wastewater treatment plant. But then either the wastewater treatment plant doesn't appropriately remove all of those plastic fibres. But often you have what we call sewer overflows. When So in a rainfall event, the pipes, the sewers basically often need to overflow to prevent sewage flooding. And then they discharge. Yeah, just to explain that for the listeners. Basically, so your toilet at home, mm-hmm. so you don't get, poo all through your house, mm. we've got sewer overflows that prevent that from basically happening. Yeah, so a sewer a sewer is designed to convey a certain flow rate. They can't convey everything. Uh, but during dry weather conditions, they can they can reasonably comfortably carry all our sewage, yeah. laundry <laughs> water, bathroom water, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but 
in a so that their sewers are the sewers are designed to con- convey the, the sewage essentially. But in a rainfall event, through um, infiltration of water uh, into the sewers, or often illegal connections, so stormwater pipes illegally connected to the sewer. Mate, you know what? I'm sorry, I'm going to segue. I love that word. <laughs> you know what? We we did an inspection on a stormwater device oh, the other day. Yeah, like it. So you know, went in, popped the top. Some developer has plugged the sewer into the stormwater stormwater system that's there to treat it. Can I tell you, Jeremy, that is not uncommon. Man, that's the third one we've found in Sydney in the the last few months. It is shocking. That's what I mean. So that's new development. And new development often has really, really high standards. What about old development? You have a lot of older areas would basically sewage would actually be discharging to the stormwater system. But I was explaining um, sewer overflow. So the, the sorry, in a, in a rainfall event, you often get inflow or infiltration of, of stormwater or uh, rainwater into the sewer, which basically means the sewer can't convey any more flow. And to prevent the sewer from essentially backing up and overflowing people's houses or whatever, it needs to overflow into uh, the creeks and waterways via sewer overflows. Um, so that's why we actually get a lot of sewage in our waterways after rainfall events. But then you use the example that Jeremy was talking about of, of just a dry weather con- in, uh, condition in that sewage can often directly discharge into the drainage system because of illegal connections. It's yeah. bad. It's bad. It's a bit doom and gloom. But again, it's actually a problem that can be appropriately mitigated. Like, why do we have plastic fibres in our clothing? Why don't we have appropriate filters on our laundry machines? Because we, mate, we, we don't, because we buy cheap shit from China. <laughs> <laughs> like this, well, actually, I can't do that. I've got to plug Hurley right now because they send us heaps of free T-shirts <laughs> to get branded, Ocean Protect. They're so cotton. Actually, made cotton into t-shirts. cotton T-shirts. <laughs> Love you, Hurley. Thank you. Um, so that's example, why. You know, that's not, that hasn't got any plastic in it. How do you know? I'm pretty confident that's 100% cotton t-shirt. Well, have, have a look. I don't want to look at, I don't want to grab your clothing. <laughs> You've done it before. Hang on. Uh, folks, it is 100% cotton on the back of Jeremy's t-shirt. Okay, so, but a lot, so of, a lot of clothing do have uh, plastic fibres in there. And then you got uh, plastic sort of particles in our cosmetic creams and whatever, shampoos, where, um, where we... You know, using like Jeremy. Jeremy's very familiar <laughs> with that, all these products, I'm sure. But he uses uh, a lot of exfoliators uh, and whatever. But I'm kidding. Uh, but yeah, a lot, a lot of creams no, and whatever. A lot of creams and and cosmetic products do have um, microplastics in there. And, and I, we were talking to Nicholas Brennis about this. We thought these were banned in Australia, but yeah. they're, but they're not. So this is my point. Like these. You talk about oh, we're finding a lot of pl- plastic fibers in the waterways of Sydney Harbour, but we can stop this. We can stop this tomorrow. Just stop using plastic in our clothing and stop having microplastics in our cosmetic yeah, but, products. But it's convenience, Brad. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you go to Cotton On and you get t shirts oh, sorry, Cotton On, but you go to Cotton On and, and get T-shirts, you know, three for 20 bucks. People, you know, out of convenience, they're cheap. That's, that's why it's happening. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. The episodes are released weekly and the next episode will feature part two of this chat. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.